When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Okay, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Early in the third period, Ottawa leading Montreal 3-1. Capitals up 3-0 on the Rangers. A fight-filled first period. Tom Wilson got in a fight. He got a misconduct, and the Capitals say he's out for the rest of the game with an upper body injury. Lightning lead the Stars 3-1 with about 13 minutes left. Predators and Blue Jackets tied at two in the third. Early in the second period, St. Louis leading Anaheim one zip. After one, Vegas and Mini, no score. Still to come tonight in about half an hour, the Jets and the Flames. Winnipeg has lost seven straight. Avalanche and Sharks will play at 7.30. Kings and Coyotes coming up in an hour. Oilers tomorrow. Playing the Canucks again. 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. And the game will start at seven okay yeah interesting night (laughs) and some interesting discussion thanks to everybody who called in and texted about the uh tom wilson no suspension situation and on some of the shenanigans in the rangers and capitals game tonight uh always happy to hear uh your opinions always appreciated when it's well thought out and always appreciated too. If you just want to be a little humorous along the way, got some of that on the text line as well. I do appreciate it. Just want to quickly check in with the producer of the show, Dave Campbell, who was covering the uh, CFL draft last night to see what happened with the double E football team. Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I am doing very well. Nice to talk to you. We got the Oilers bound for the postseason, and we got uh, hopefully here a build towards a CFL season after not having one last year and uh, the draft was yesterday and a young man we had on the show last week out of the U of A Golden Bears was snapped up in the first round by the double E. I'll tell you, you know, probably most of us heard Cole Nelson for the first time last week. And how could you not just be just, just in love with the story in love with the character, just a, a tremendous story uh, from Pinoca, Alberta was picked with the fifth overall pick by the Edmonton football team, defensive lineman, uh, very, very big man, six foot six, but Brock Sunderland and the uh, head coach of the double E, uh, Jamie Elizondo said like the way he moves, it's unbelievable for a big man that is over 300 pounds and six foot six tested very well at the combine sub five seconds in the 40 yard dash and in the shuttle. So he can, he can definitely move out there and uh, doesn't hurt that he had 25 uh, reps on the bench press as well so this pick though Reed I think is a little surprise well very surprising considering he was a first round pick at fifth overall that's probably way higher than most people I think or, or every person I know I looked at a lot of projections draft projections of uh, uh, of a lot of prospects Cole Nelson was somewhere in, uh, in a late second round to a fifth round hole so it was a little surprising that he went this high but it's a local pick, and I think it's someone that Brock Sunderland looks at and says, I can bring I can bring him in, in into camp right away. And I think that was a real priority for, for Brock Sunderland uh, as far as this draft goes, as, as far as his philosophy is concerned. 
Yeah. Well, a weird year because some players had seasons, some players didn't. Some players who did have seasons didn't have full seasons, so a little harder to scout guys. Well, what about the uh what about the rest of the double E draft here? Well, I think the theme was uh was size and you know, Brock Sunderland said last night, this is a big man's game. And, and you look at Brant McDonald, who was a tremendous pick, I think, from the University of Calgary with the second round pick, 6'3", uh, 230 pounds, actually went to Maine and played tight end, then was converted to linebacker at the University of Calgary. He can hit. And he when he hits, you, you know he's there. And someone that I think can uh, definitely help in special teams and the, uh, helps the depth with the team's linebacking core, which was a little thin. Uh, Dominic Johnson out of the University of Buffalo, a quarterback to turn, uh, turned a receiver. He was drafted in the fourth round. Uh, not a lot of receiver stats, but uh, athletic freak. Walked a walk-on for the uh, basketball program at the University of Buffalo, and he actually played in Division One. Uh, Peter Cordes, offensive lineman, St. Mary's uh, University. Uh, he is a 6'5 old lineman and someone that is uh, considered a, a pretty decent prospect and someone that really uh, impressed a lot of people at St. Mary's and throughout U Sports. Keenan Clark, Cornell University, defensive back in the sixth round, uh, 5'11", a defensive back who uh, will probably help on special teams. I think the sleeper pick could be Deontay Glover from Shepherd University. Running back, uh, 5'11", over 200 pounds, uh, went to West Virginia. He was a late uh, addition to the draft class. He ha he qualifies as a, as a Canadian because his mother has Canadian citizens, uh, citizenship and Glover spent five years living in Canada. And it's one of those unique spots, Reed, where he's actually an American but has a Canadian designation. And I think you might see him factor in this 2021 season. I don't know if he'll be, uh, how many reps he'll get at running back, for example, but it's an option that I think is available for Jamie Elizondo if he wants to go that route. Dave Schuert Park's Chuba Hubbard was taken by Carolina in the NFL draft, but that didn't stop him being picked yesterday. Yeah, he was picked uh, in the fifth round by the Calgary Stampede, so John Huffnagel uh, snaps up uh, the Sherwood Park kid. Uh, who had a very nice tweet saying, uh, you know, always wanted to play in the CFL, but I think I'll be a little busy uh, being in blue for the next uh, few years. And he was drafted, of course, by the Carolina Panthers in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Uh, you know, Brock Sunderland said if he maybe fell to the sixth round, might have picked him. But I never got the sense at all, Reed, that Brock Sunderland was interested in a futures pick because I think he wants as many bodies in camp as he's allowed. And uh, you can double cohort uh, the 2020 and the 2021 draft class. Now, some teams might not want to do that because of their salary situation. And of course, we know that every team is uh, cutting salary and, and going towards the cap floor uh, instead of the cap ceiling. But Brock Sunderland wants to bring in as many of the class from the last two years as he can. So I don't think a futures pick was something that was interested uh, he was interested in there's no question that if you draft the chuba hubbard it's 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 a cool story it's uh, gives you some hype but i don't think long term it does much for you if he possibly doesn't play here he could be downing the nfl for you know maybe three four years maybe longer maybe he's there for a 10-year career who knows so i think it's just representative of the philosophy of rock sunderland that he just didn't want to pick a player that he he thought that he would wouldn't see for a long long time or ever all right. Well, we appreciate the update, Dave. Uh, you know, hopefully we keep getting more news with the schedule and, uh, you know, our team still needs a new name and all that fun stuff. But appreciate the update on the draft, buddy. You betcha. Anytime, Reed.
All right, that's Dave Campbell checking in on what the double E football team did. And yes, Sherwood Park's Chuba Hubbard did get picked by the Stamps, but obviously he has a great shot here to play in the National Football League. Ottawa just scored again five minutes now into the third. Senators leading the Canadians 4-1 as uh, Montreal. Well, worst case scenario, they'll be... No, worst case scenario, the Jets would move ahead of them. Worst case scenario for the Jets, even if they lose again. <laughs> they would stay tied for third as uh, they have a game coming up against the Calgary Flames. Winnipeg trying to snap a seven-game losing streak. All right, we got an incredible story and an incredible storyteller coming up. His name is Sean Pete. He's currently the pit crew coach for Chip Ganassi Racing in NASCAR. He was born in Edmonton. He played junior hockey. He played minor pro, and that took him into NASCAR. He's got the full story. It is a good one coming up. it's tough everyone kind of wants to play but uh, you really have to take advantage of uh, what's given to you and that was uh, you know a lot of practice time for me and a lot of time to uh, work on what I wanted to work on you know uh, specifically my skating and stuff like that so I think it was uh, you know good to take uh, advantage of that pass over to nurse down the left wing gives it to Bouchard he'll walk right in he'll wait he'll shoot scores Evan Bouchard let it go from the point he got it past Demko and the Oilers are up three to one well Bouchard can shoot the puck there's no question about it uh yeah it was a great opportunity for me to uh you know kind of get through the the systems and uh everything like that and I think uh you know that I could add that part to uh to my game so they get the uh, chance to play uh, on the penalty kill was uh, you know it was important for me and it was uh, you know I was happy to get some time there yeah we're trying to get uh, you know as many guys in just get them some time I thought Bouchard was excellent played very well for a guy that hasn't played for a while Legison came in played a real solid game tourists uh, put a lot of work in solid outing by a lot of guys yeah, that's Dave Tippett after last night's game, and you also heard from Evan Bouchard. Finally in there, first time since March 1st, got a goal, played over 20 minutes, looked pretty comfortable. The Oilers, assuming everybody is healthy, you know, Chris Russell is currently day-to-day. Slater Cuckoo has been skating and practicing but hasn't yet been cleared to play. But if they're all healthy, the Oilers could have 10 at least competent defensemen going into the playoffs. Uh, uh, that's... It's pretty good. I mean, some guys are better than others. Some guys are more experienced than others, but at least players who have played and have NHL games under their belts. So that's pretty encouraging. All right. We got an incredible story for you here. Former junior hockey player. He's now the pit crew coach with Chip Ganassi Racing in NASCAR. Please welcome to Inside Sports, Sean Pete. Sean, how are you doing? I'm good, Reed. Thanks for having me, man. Well, this is awesome to have you on the show. I got to thank Cam Moon for... Well, Cam didn't just plant the seed of an idea for having you on the show. Like, he planted it and then uh, constantly watered it 
and uh, got one of those UV lights to shine on it and constantly reminded me that I got to have you on. So uh, I'm excited to talk because you do have really uh, a remarkable story. I'm going to start with your current title. You're the uh, pit crew coach for Chip Ganassi Racing. But let's not start there. Let's tease people with that. You were born here, right? You were born in little old Edmonton. Proud, proud Canadian, uh, proud Albertan. Yeah, born in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, yeah, that's where I started things off, and uh, I still have extended family there. Um, and my parents met at a bowling alley in Edmonton, if you can believe that. Oh, do, you remember, <laughs> do you know which one? <laughs> I don't. I don't. Well, this is uh, the bowling alley romance. Well, that's a good way to start. <laughs> That's <laughs> good. So okay, so you're uh, so you, so you're born in the mid '70s. So you're growing up in Edmonton during an interesting time to be a, a hockey fan. Then what do, what was that experience like for you? Well, it was really, I, we were uh, I was very young when my parents uh, you know started here, moved out to Vancouver Island. So that my a lot of my experiences that I can recall were being um Edmonton Oilers fans amidst all these rabid Vancouver Canuck fans and it was never uh it was never an easy thing as a kid in school you know everyone's got Canuck stuff on you have an Oilers shirt on but uh you know I think maybe that led to me toughening it up early a little bit well the Oilers uh often got the better of the Canucks as <laughs> so I'm sure you reminded your friends often yes yes you're correct and was hockey everything to you as a kid playing watching or were you into other stuff yeah, no, Reed, I wasn't. Um, I was a late starter. My brother and I did, probably didn't start till we were, gosh, eight or nine, maybe even 10 years old. Um, you know, just, uh, you know, hardworking family and just the opportunity wasn't there to play. And then we, we, you know, finally got the opportunity. I remember my parents thought, uh, okay, we should get these kids into hockey school. Never haven't been hockey parents before. So we go to Lake Cowichan and they didn't realize you had to sharpen your skates before you like, basically we just took them out of the box, stepped on the ice. So my first, my first stride on hockey skates, I went right to, to my face. So it probably was an, uh, an omen of how bad a skater I was going to be my whole career. So. Well, you had a pretty good career because uh, what it really stepped up for you when you started playing junior, would you say? When you or, or when did things start to click for you? Yeah, you know, being from the Nimo, I got an opportunity to play in the British Columbia League for the Nimo Clippers, uh, which was a, a dream opportunity for myself. Uh, never, you know, I was never a kid that made BC's best ever or the All Star team, or I, I just wasn't one of those kids. And uh, to make it onto that junior team and then parlay that into a, a you know an opportunity down at, at a U.S. college, um, that was a success for me um, because it just seemed out of the realm of possibility when I was coming through minor hockey. Where did you wind up going to college? Tell everybody about that story. I played uh, played four years at Dartmouth uh, in the Ivy League. Uh, was recruited as a forward. Uh, they switched me to a defenseman. My first shift at defense my sophomore year, um, we were playing University of Vermont. And we step on the ice, it's four minutes into the first period, and the forward line that is against my defense partner and myself is made up of Martin St. Louis, Eric Perrin, and the winger that played with them. Reed, needless to say, it went horribly wrong uh, shortly after the puck was dropped. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, quite a, that's quite a start. How was the... Yeah, how was the hockey culture there in the Ivy League and going to Dartmouth? Like, was the team uh, important? Was it not yeah. as watched as some of the other teams? Yeah, I mean, we were the, you know, we were a D1 program, so it was uh, it was a big deal on campus. Um, we were not a good hockey program. You know, in four years, I think we played one wild card playoff game. 
And so, you know, when you're losing at that type of volume, you know, the people don't just show up. The, they were packed um, because St. Louis and all those guys were in um, at Vermont. Every time we played Vermont, our building was packed. Um, but they were all chanting UVM when we came out. So that was uh, not a good thing. So it was um, college hockey was really interesting and, and I'm thankful for it. But it was um, it's certainly difficult. You know, I tell people now, if, if you're going to play college hockey, you better love the game of hockey. Because between studying and film and lifting weights, um, it requires all of you. So, Sean, you made an interesting decision. At least I think you did. Because I've talked to a lot of players over the years, as I'm sure you can imagine. And sometimes when they reach the end of that NCAA or U Sports career, I mean, there's there's the fork in the road. And and you know maybe you're not going to make the NHL or it might be a real long shot and you've, you've got a degree or might be close to getting one. So what do you do? And and, and you made the decision to, keep to, to play pro hockey and it took you a few different places. It, so what led you to stick with hockey when you were done with Dartmouth? You know, you know, one of the interesting things I found down there, Reed, is, is Dartmouth is, I think, was the sixth best school in the country uh, and a very expensive place to go to school. And when I arrived there, there was a level of affluence that I've never seen before. Um, I have really great parents, um, but we grew up, you know, west coast of Vancouver Island, middle, lower socioeconomic class. But we had a richness of life. And when I went to Dartmouth, you know, there were kids there that had all these things that we are told that we're supposed to want in life. Land Rovers, fancy clothes, you know, expensive shoes. But a lot of them were inherently miserable or had awful relationships with their parents. And what that did is it allowed me to kind of look behind the curtain and the myth of, that, that we hold money in such high esteem. And when I saw that, I, was, I made up my mind. I was like, I'm going to chase joy. And, you know, Dartmouth's a big corporate banking school, so I could have gone to Wall Street Instead, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go play in the Texas League for 300 bucks a week. That's awesome. Well, and that's quite a mature realization for you to have in your early 20s. Not a lot, a lot, a lot of people would would realize that and then commit to it. Yeah, I just think it was so in your face, and I just I remember being so struck by it. Like it, it on to honestly, my senior year, it wasn't even a decision. The only thing I was worried about was I like I didn't even know if I'd be able to make a pro team was the thing. So if, if I didn't, I was going to go back to Nanaimo, figure it out. But uh, I knew what I wasn't going to do, and that was spend 80 hours at a job that I hate. Well, that's a good way to put it, Sean. Sean Pete joining us on Inside Sports. More with him. He's uh, telling me about his journey from Edmonton through junior hockey to minor pro. He's got some awesome stories about playing minor pro hockey and then how do you go from a hockey career to working in a nascar pit crew that's what happened to sean he's coming at you with some more after the 7 30 news and weather inside sports on chet this it's now 5-1 the Senators leading the Canadians with four minutes left in the third period Capitals up 3-1 on the Rangers with five minutes to go in that game as uh, things sort of settled down after a crazy start six fights in the first five minutes of the game Bushnevich cross-checked to the face on Anthony Mantha he'll probably get suspended for that one 
Tom Wilson was in a fight, got a misconduct, and uh, Capitals say he didn't return to the game because of an upper body injury. Very eventful night between the Capitals and the Rangers. And, of course, the uh, Rangers also fired their president and GM today. The Lightning beat the Stars 6-2. Blue Jackets knock off the Predators 4-2. Ducks and Blues 1-1 late in the second period. Golden Knights lead the Wild 1-0 with about seven minutes left in the second period. Jets and Flames about to get underway. Canada won 8-1 over Sweden at the under-18 Worlds in the semifinal. Connor Bedard had a hat trick there. Russia or Finland now on the ice in the other semifinal. And the Oilers will play Vancouver tomorrow. It's on 6.30, Chad, with the face-off show at 5.30. The game will start at 7. Okay, we're going to continue our chat here with Sean Pete, who's taking you through being born in Edmonton, uh, moving to the West Coast, playing in the BCJHL, playing for Dartmouth in the NCAA, and then pursuing a minor pro career. Sean, you played minor pro in a lot of places, and I'm wondering, did you ever start to get that question, okay, is this worth it to keep going? Yeah, I think, you know, we all have uh, some of those um, <laughs> what am I doing moments. I mean, I think probably the biggest one for me, I played my first year in Texas and I thought it went really well. And I could have gone back there and been, you know, really well established in the lineup and the community, but I knew I wanted to take a shot at the National Hockey League. So I went out and I searched for the toughest coach to play for in the country at that time. And at that time, that person was John Brophy. And he was the coach in Hampton Roads, right? You know, everyone knows John Brophy, correct? Yeah. So I call, uh, I call up the GM out there and, you know, I said, hey, I played in Texas. I'd like to try out. And they, they thought so little of me. They're like, sure, if you can get here, you can try out. So I paid, paid my own plane ticket and I go to what was undeniably the most difficult training camp I've ever been through. Reed, it was three a days. Like, it was insane. And, and what was interesting is they only needed six six guys. Right? They had 14 returning players. Uh, they were affiliated with the Blackhawks. So I knew it was going to be tough to make the lineup. So I get through this grueling camp and I make the lineup for the last two exhibition games, which is a home and home against Richmond. So we go up to Richmond and uh, at that time, I mean, they were super tough. They had like 14 Vandermeer brothers on the team. They had, uh, you know, they had Trevor Sand, they had Steve Demonsky. So, so we're not going to run these guys out of the building, regardless of what Brophy thinks. So we go up there, uh, I get in a fight in the second period, uh, fought the guy to a draw, which if any hockey fighter ever tells you they fought someone to a draw, they lost. Um, but I was the only fight of the game. We lose 5-1. And Brophy is furious. So we all get on the bus, and not a word is said, all four hours back to Hampton Roads. Um, so they post Saturday night's lineup, and I make that lineup. So in my head, I'm like, I got a chance here. So we, we play Richmond again at home, and we end up losing 3-1. I get an assist, and I'm plus one for the game. So I'm coming off the ice, and all the guys that have already made the team are in suits in the locker room, and everyone just played. is just, like, you know, trying to catch their breath, sitting in their stalls, and Brophy comes in, and he's beat red with that white hair. And he comes into the room, and he's like, where is number 20? And I was number 20. And I... So I was like, I just kind of raised my hand. I didn't know what to do. So I raised my hand and he looks at me and Reed, he's like, take your effing skates off. So I'm like, I don't, I wonder what this is about. So I start untying my skates and I hand them to him and he snatches them out of my hands. And there's a garbage can in the middle of the room and he throws them in the garbage can and turns around and says, you don't effing deserve to play hockey. And 
at that time, Reed, like I had so much cognitive dissonance. I didn't, I think I blacked out. Like I don't, and he just started screaming at me. So anyways, when that was over, um, they were making cuts the next day and we had to be at the rink at 8 a.m. So I get there at 6.30 and sure enough, there's, you know, 10 garbage bags against the boards and number 20 is on one of them. So I'm like, oh, great. So they start calling players in and I was the first person there. They called everyone in and it was a five minute meeting and they cut them and let them go. And they saved me to last. And I went up there and for 35 minutes, I had Brophy and the GM basically just emasculate me and tell me I was soft and I didn't like the rough going. And I was like, every every adjective you could add to make, like to take a shot at someone's manhood, they told me. So I'm still in disbelief. So I go back to my hotel room and in the East Coast League, when you get cut, they put you on waivers. And so I have all these coaches all over the country calling me. And every one of them is saying, hey, we like your size, but we heard you're soft. Uh, we like your size, but you don't like to rough stuff. <laughs> so, Reed, I'm losing my mind. And the next guy that calls is Rick Aduno, for, the head coach from South Carolina. And I was like, Coach, before you start with me, I just need to know who is their biggest rival. And he said, we are. And I said, you know what? I don't care what you're going to pay me. Um, I'm coming. Which is a terrible business move, right? Because I think they paid me 300 bucks. They thought enough of me that they bought me a bus ticket. So it's been a long night. I didn't sleep. I get my gear, get my bus ticket, and I board the Greyhound. And the last thing I do before I board that Greyhound is I buy a newspaper. So it's about a four-hour trip. Um, I fall asleep for the first two hours. Midway through, I'm like, okay, this is a new opportunity. Let, let's go. Let's shake this off. Let's go. And I decide to read the paper. And so I open up the paper, and in it, it says, Admirals make cuts. And a third of the way down the article... John Brophy is quoted as saying, the biggest disappointment in camp was Dartmouth defenseman Sean Pete. He came to camp looking like Captain America and played like Miss America. <laughs> Reed, I was gonna kill wow. I was gonna fight everyone on the bus, man. It was it was it was brutal. It was brutal. Oh my. What a tale. What a uh, well, those who remember John Brophy are, are probably shaking their heads though. Sean Pete joining us on Inside Sports with some uh tales of minor league hockey okay now is there not something about that you were part of I, 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 you'll, you'll correct me if i'm uh guilty of hyperbole here but the largest line brawl in minor pro hockey history one of the largest what happened at the time it was categorized as the worst brawl in east coast league history and okay. it's um for the longest time it was the first thing that came up on a google search when people would search me so it, it it was never a good conversation starter for me and not a not a record my parents are super proud of but yeah i um you know i i was lucky enough to make it all the way up to the american league and i was sent down to greensboro north carolina the next season um and it was opening night and it was kind of a perfect storm because you know i'd played against the, this guy in college hockey and in college hockey you're all wearing full cages so you can spear guys and be dirty and run your mouth and yet be held to no account so there's one of those guys playing on that team i've been demoted and this guy cross checks a, a guy on our team right before the second period and our coach is losing his mind and he's like is someone going to do something so i was like yep i'll solve it and i jumped over the boards and i lined up with this guy I said, hey, we know when the puck drops, we're going to go. So the puck drops, I grab him, start hitting him, and a five-on-five brawl breaks out. And he goes to the ground, and I'm not going to hit him anymore because, you know, I go by the gentleman's rules, um, which will quickly go out the window here. 
and I turn over my shoulder, and they had a, a kid who ended up being a heavyweight for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Ryan Flynn, I believe his name was. And I look over, and he's pounding our guy. So I look at my guy, and I'm like, let me go, and he, and he just lets me go, and I take two strides and wind up and hit Flynn as hard as I possibly can. And he goes to the ice. There's, there's the gentleman's rules for you, right? Uh, not something I'm super proud of. But anyways, the guy I originally was fighting tackles me. But the problem was when he tackled me, he ended up on the bottom of the pile. So, like, you know when you pull your lawnmower out in the spring when it hasn't been fired up since the fall and you just keep pulling the – you just keep pulling <laughs> Reed, it was like that, man. And, and I just – it was all this frustration I just poured out on this poor kid. Uh, I think I cut him for 68 stitches. And then I was, I was leaving the ice, and I saw someone challenging our bench, so I stripped all my gear off, got away from the linesman, and almost got to this guy – and, and I, they intercepted me, and we were playing him the next night, so I just ran my thumb across my, my throat and said, hey, I'll see you tomorrow night. Um, I thought nothing of it, Reed, until I was leaving the ice. And our team idiot had already been kicked out of the game. And when I came through the doors, like the look on his face, he's like, dude, you're in serious trouble. And sure enough, I got, uh, I got six games for starting it. I got six games for joining the second altercation. And I got six games for making a throat-slashing gesture. A quarter, oh of, the <laughs> quarter of the season. Jeez. That's, yeah. that is, uh, that's an epic story. Thank you for sharing that. I, I do appreciate that as we uh, get some great tales from Sean Pete tonight on Inside Sports. Okay. Um, I got I to gotta transition then because, okay, so you stopped playing hockey. A lot of guys stay in sports. Most hockey yeah. players stay in hockey. I have never heard of the transition from hockey to NASCAR. So how the heck does that possibly happen? So that's a, that brawl was on a Friday night. Okay, we played the next night. We played Saturday night. And so I'm sitting out the first game of my suspension. And there's a lady in the stands, and her husband was racing, and he's a big fan of the, the tough guys. And, and she basically called him and was like, wait till you get a load of this guy. And so I meet this guy in the stands Saturday night. And, you know, we start talking and, I, and I'm like, yeah, my dad has a garage on Vancouver Island. And he said, okay, well, when your dad comes down to visit, I'll take him on a tour of one of the race shops because he worked for Bill Davis Racing at the time. So fast forward two months and my dad comes down and sure enough, this guy takes us on a tour of Bill Davis Racing. And this was back when mechanics were pitting the cars. So pit stops were a lot slower. And practice was going terrible. So the guy showing me around, he's like, hey, this is Sean. He plays for the Greensboro Generals. The crew chief says, hey, get the hockey player in here. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just showing my dad around. And he was insistent. So they showed me how to do it. And I went. And I was as fast as a guy that had been doing it the last five years. And they're like, you should do this. And I thought they were kidding around. So I ended up going out playing hockey in uh, Albuquerque my last year. And uh, I get a phone call out of the blue. And they're like, no, we're serious. We want you to do this. So when I got, I came back to North Carolina, it took me six weeks and I was pitting, pitting race cars. And I laughingly, I laughingly <laughs> tell people, I tried for 26 years to get to the National Hockey League. I made it to NASCAR in six weeks. That's incredible. Right. So and now and now your title is pit crew coach. Pit crew coach. Yeah. So I started as a, a jackman. So my job was uh, basically the race car comes in. Uh, you have to jump in front of it. And when it comes skidding to a stop, you have to lift a 3,500 pound race car with one stroke of the jack. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> what's so interesting is I had no 
idea what NASCAR was. I, right. You know, it's not something that was even on my radar. Um, but it still allowed me to be part of a team. It still allowed me this adrenaline rush. Like you go over the wall, you know, people ask all the time, what's it like to be a pit crew member? Um, pit road speed limit is 55 miles an hour. And these cars are inches off your heels. If you want to know what it's like, go out to the, to the Trans-Canada Highway, put your heels on the white line and let traffic blow by you, behind you. And if that doesn't unnerve you, you have what it takes to be a pit crew person. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so uh, were you, you were in Talladega Nights, Mooter said? I was in Talladega Nights. Uh, that is true. And so, what did you do? And who did you uh, so I was part of uh, Will Ferrell's pit crew. And, and what happened was we were out at pit, pra pit practice one day and they asked us all to come in there. And sure enough, this big congregation of people comes out of the building and with cameras and all sorts of stuff. And they want headshots from all of us. And they're going to choose, they're going to select five people for this movie. Well, they get headshots. Now imagine this. I just came off a minor league career, eight-year minor league career, where I had, what, eight goals in a thousand minutes. I have like four teeth in my mouth. And I have all these Hollywood people looking for NASCAR people. Who do you think is going to get picked? So I got picked because I looked like a like a caveman. <laughs> uh, did, now, was there, I mean, did you get to talk to any of the stars or was oh, it just absolutely. like stay we, away from them? Or no, no, it was great. We, um, they shot a lot of that at Chip Ganassi Racing and we, we embedded with them for about a month and a half. So we were, uh, we were with Will Farrell and all those guys. Uh, Will Farrell, you know, I told Mooner is just is one of the best people I've ever met. Like so, you know, so humble and like you know would eat lunch with us and talk to us and ask us about racing and just a just a cool guy, it, just a really cool guy. And just it was interesting. You know, we would get that to the set at six a.m. They would rush us into our fire suits, and by nine at night, they'd be like, "Oh shoot, we didn't need you guys. You can go home." <laughs> So like a month and a half of that was, but uh, well, you know, we learned how to square dance with Will Ferrell and, you know, we were in Talladega shooting scenes down there. And uh, um, yeah, it's funny because it's not something I bring up very often. I, I never bring it up. So, uh, but it was, a, it was a cool experience. Well, this has been a cool experience talking to you. Uh, you've been incredibly generous with your time, yet I feel like uh, I, I would like more, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw one more at you because you are in the world of NASCAR. Sure. And it's not something that, I talk about, well, practically uh, ever on this show. Um, so what's the biggest misconception that people have about NASCAR or the thing that you hear the most of and you're like, oh, quit saying that. Well, I, I think there's still a misconception that, you know, all the guys pitting the race cars um, are, are the guys that took shop class in high school. And, and nothing could be further from the truth, right? If you look at my roster, you know, as we built Chip Ganassi Racing, I have a linebacker from the Pittsburgh Steelers, I have a linebacker from the Redskins. I have a linebacker from uh, that led Clemson in tackles two years in a row and was the kid that Dabo Sweeney built the Clemson college football program around. I'm an Olympic swimmer. I'm an All-American baseball player. So the, I've had two United States Navy SEALs. So the, the athletic acumen of these guys continues to ratchet up. Um, and, you know, when I got in, a fast pit stop was 16-5. Right, we can change four tires and put 18 gallons of fuel in a race car now in 10 seconds. Right, we laughingly refer to ourselves as the Department of Unrealistic Expectations because we're expected to do that every single time. And you got a book out too, right? Yeah, we um, we uh, had an opportunity to speak at the NFL Combine a couple years ago, and uh, I think anytime you do anything in life, uh, it's just your work. And so we go up there and present and. Uh, 
we thought it went terrible, but a bunch of people stuck around and asked us questions. And we're leaving the conference hall, and this guy tracks us down. He's like, fellas, I took more notes in your 30 minutes than I have the first two days of this conference. And we get into this great talk, and I'm like, hey, man, who are you with? He said, I'm with the New England Patriots. And right then we were like, you know what? We need to put this, we need to put this down. So the book's called 12 Second Culture. It's basically how we went into Chip Ganassi Racing and we took two pit crews that were outside the top 30. And without resources, without facilities, uh, we built them into the first and third best teams in NASCAR. And it was all based on culture. And it's all based on caring about people. Sean, this was this was such a pleasure. We're going to have to try to catch up again. Thanks for telling your story, and uh, I, I know you're an incredibly busy guy, but I will say this: I hope you have time to watch some more of those playoff games. Okay, can't wait. Hey, I was I was one of the Oilers fans at Game Seven when they uh, played Carolina here, so I was cheering my head off when that when that happened. So, um, best of luck to those guys in the playoffs. Right on. That is Sean Pete. My goodness, amazing! What a tale. What a tale. That uh, that had me smiling and laughing numerous times. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. So Sean Pete is his name. S-H-A-U-N-P-E-E-T if you want to look him up from uh, junior hockey to minor pro to working in NASCAR. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Sean Pete, that was that interview was just a blast. What an incredible storyteller, and I think he just scratched the surface. But pretty good tales of his journey through minor pro, pro hockey and now working as a NASCAR pit crew coach. That's awesome. Born in Edmonton. Okay, the Jets have jumped out to a one nothing lead on the Flames. Lowry scored. It's about halfway through the first period now, and the Senators shoot down the Canadians five one. So if the Jets get a point or two tonight. They move back into sole possession of third ahead of the Canadians. A fight-filled game, Capitals and Rangers. The Capitals wound up winning at 4-2. TJ Oshie, whose uh, father recently passed away, had a hat trick. 5.30 face-off show tomorrow. Game at 7. Oilers and Canucks here on 6.30. Chad, of course, Bob Stoffer will have Oilers now from noon to 2. Thanks to Cam Moon, who's going to have the play-by-play tomorrow for connecting me with Sean Pete for that interview. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell, the studio producer this evening, Kellen Kennedy. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.